This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Wow, what a, what a privilege this morning to be able to share with you what, um, what God has been laying on my heart. And I just want to under, uh, honor Andrea and Sonica as our leaders um, for giving us, me and other individuals, giving us opportunity to share um, in this church. I just want to honor them in, in their absence. So, uh, yeah, it's just a, just a privilege. Uh, for those that don't know me that, that well, um, Stefan shared a little bit about me, but I'm Stephen. I'm married to a vet. She's at the back there. Uh, she's an amazing, amazing woman. Uh, I love her to bits. Uh, we've been married for seven years this year. Before that, we dated for seven years, so I've known her for 14 years. She's my high school sweetheart. Um, and, uh, yeah, I can't imagine my life uh, without her. She looks after me and the kids so well. Um, and, uh, yeah, like, a, like Stephen said, we've got a daughter, Francie. She's about three years old. And then my son, uh, Jacques. He's four months, four months old, um, yeah, and he's growing. So, uh, and your front, uh, Yvette is just taking such good care of, of all three of us. She runs our household. Uh, she's just a, such a blessing to me, and I can't imagine my life without her. Uh, so I just want to honor you, babes, and I, and I, and I love you. Yeah. So anyways, about five months ago, um, I was given the opportunity um, at work to take on some more responsibility, and uh, I felt it as of God, so I said yes uh, to the more responsibility, but the, the impact of that on my life has been quite hectic the last five months, so that has probably been more hectic than on you born in the, in the house, because this event is like doing 85% of all of that stuff, um, but it's been quite, quite a challenge for me the last five months. Um, and it's been, I've really been stretched the last five months. And what it has meant, this extra responsibilities, it's meant that I had to often stay later um, at work, often go in earlier, often work 12 hours, then still come home and work some more or um, wake up early in the morning and, and work. Um, often Yvette would like phone me when I'm still six or seven o'clock at work. She would phone me and, hey, is it okay if we just start to eat so long? And I would say, yeah, it's fine. Um, you know, and I would feel like, I'm not getting this right, I'm, 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 I'm getting it wrong, how can I do this? But never once has she complained, um, you know, about that. Or often I've come home and the kids are already in bed and everybody's been, been fed. Um, so I'm, why am I telling you, I'm just trying to include you a little bit into my life and what's been happening in my heart and from where the, the message this morning is, is coming from, from what place it's coming. Um, and I'm not complaining at all, I'm thankful for the opportunities. I work for a wonderful company, an awesome company, amazing company. Um, and uh, I'm thankful for the opportunities that they've given me. And, and I said yes, you know, for the responsibilities. And as I said, I believe God, it is um, part of God's plan for me to say yes, and His hand is in it. And I just want to stop maybe there and just say this morning, I believe that it's not necessary when things are stressful and when there's anxiety and uh, you know, when there's stress and, and, the, and the pressure is on, it's not necessary that God is not with us. Or that he's not in it. Amen? So often we think that when it's like that, oof, we're missing it or God is not in it. And in my case, I've just been like thrown out of my depth in a sense, in, a, in work-wise. And it's meaning that I need to put more hours in to understand the business and to understand the responsibilities and get the job done. But at the same time, 
God is also calling me deeper into Him. Uh, because I've just been having to evaluate my heart this, this last five months and say, you know, is it okay for a born-again Christian, is it okay for um, a spiritual Christian to be so anxious, to be so filled with stress? You know, often I've found myself in the last five months, in evenings when I try to go to bed, then I'm not able to switch off, you know, just thinking about work and the topics and the things that needs to happen or waking up, you know, two, three o'clock in the morning and not able to go back to work because just the things of work just starting to race through my mind. Um, or in the mornings I wake up and it's like, Woof! this anxiety is just like coming for me as I'm just thinking about all these topics that I need to, it still needs to be addressed and, you know, they just still need to come through. And, and I've just been asking the question to myself, is it okay for a born-making Christian to, to operate and to live in that place of stress and anxiety? And I've come to the conclusion that it's, it's actually not okay. We don't have to settle for that. Let me say it that way. We don't have to settle for that. It's not that God is angry with us or he's disappointed when we are in that space, but we don't have to settle. It's an opportunity for us to go into the God more, to enter his grace more. And I'm so thankful for our leadership in this church. Andre Sonica, that's challenging us to go into God deeper. He's calling us and says, there's always more of God. There's more that we can enter. And this morning, I want to tell you, there's more of God. If you're in a place of stress and anxiety and stuff like that, there's more of God. You know, the scripture says that this perfect love, the perfect love of Jesus, casts out all fear. He says that the peace that Jesus gives us surpasses all understanding. So I'm just going on those two scriptures, just those promises. It's not okay for me to stay in a place of anxiety and rest. Why? Because... God has promised me more. It just means that I haven't entered the more. I haven't entered the grace. I haven't fully, I don't have a full understanding yet of the love of God, the real love of God. Because where the real love of God is, there is no fear. I haven't fully accepted the peace that God is offering me. Because when there's full peace, there is no anxiety or stress. Are you with me this, this morning? So I've been so encouraged and so drawn into God's presence and say, I'm not satisfied by living, even with pressure, even with this, I'm not satisfied living at a place of anxiety. There is more, and God is calling us. So I don't know where you are at this morning. Maybe you're in the same place as, as I've been and currently in. Maybe you're in the same place in terms of just work. It's just been hectic and a lot of stress and pressure and anxiety. And the, the message, the word that I have for you this morning is take heart, take courage. Don't be disheartened. Don't lose, don't lose hope. There's more. God is faithful. There's more. You don't have to settle for that. Maybe this morning you're here and, and your marriage is, is on the rocks. And you're trying to just hang on. And I want to tell you, take heart. Take courage. Don't lose hope. There's hope in Jesus. There's no hopeless situations. Amen? Because Jesus is hope. Maybe this, this morning you, you're just so disheartened because of all the, the news reports and the things that's been going on in the political sphere and in our country, and you don't know if you're coming or you're going. And I want to tell you this morning, take heart, take courage, don't be discouraged. I want to share with you this morning the same words that, that God actually shared with Joseph, jo, uh, Joseph before he, uh, Joshua, I'm sorry, with Joshua, before he had to lead the Israelites out of the wilderness, into the promised land. God shared this word with, with Joshua 1, 
verse 9, he said, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, nor be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Oh, isn't that so encouraging? Don't be strong and courageous. Take heart. Because the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Let me just pray for us before we get into the word. God, I just bring before you myself and the words, God, and this morning, God. And I pray, God, that that all of us, we would hear your words and your voice, and your voice only this morning, the voice of Holy Spirit. Thank you that you are here, and thank you that you are speaking to the people, Lord. Pray, God, that our hearts would be touched, and as I speak the word of God, Lord, I put the trust in your word, and I put my trust and the faith in you, God, that hearts would be turned upside down, that hearts would be renewed and restored in you. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, okay. So, the question this morning is, what is the condition of your heart? You know, from every, every now and again, it's, it's good to just uh, to stop and just to assess the condition of our heart. What is going on on our heart? And I'm, I'm going to uh, show you now why it's so important that we stop every now and again and just assess what's going on on our heart and, and, and make sure that our heart is healthy. Um, you can go into the next slide. So there's some hearts on the screen there, and I wanted to just, just take a minute and look at those pictures, and with which of those hearts can you relate mostly this morning? Just, just take a minute. Which of those hearts actually represent your heart this morning? There's a broken heart up there. There's a heart of stone. There's a cold and icy heart. There's a heart that's in chain, captive. There's a heart that is in sin and darkness. Can you, have you all got an idea of where you're at? So the reason why it's so good to assess the condition of our heart, um, I want to read you a, a quote here from the Bible. Um, from Proverbs 4 verse, verse 23, and it's, it tells us why it's so important to assess our heart. And it says there in Proverbs 4 verse 23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Let's read that together. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Wow. I was just blown away when I read this description. Whatever there is in our heart, if whatever we do flows from that place. In other words, if we have a, a hardened heart, a heart of stone, then everything we do in life has that undertone of hardness and harshness to it. If we have a broken heart, then everything we, we do in life has that, that edge of breaking down people and not having confidence in ourselves and brokenness. If we have an icy cold heart, then everything we do in life, it has that undertone of not real belief. It's not really alive. It's like not really having faith. If we have a heart that is captive, we have a, everything we do, we do with that um, poverty mentality or, or victim mentality that, you know, ach, I won't get this. I, I won't get it right. It's just going to go bad again because the condition of our heart is we, we kept. If you have a, a heart that's filled with darkness and sin, then no matter what you do and try to do, 
you will always end up sinning because your heart's condition is still sinful. So this is what's so important for us to take time and assess really what is going on in our hearts this morning. But the good news that I have this morning is that God is able to give us a new heart. It doesn't matter what the condition of our heart is this morning. God is able to renew our hearts and to give us another heart. And I want to take you to a, a scripture in, in the book of Samuel, which speaks about God giving soul a new heart. So just to give you a little bit of background, a bit of context. So um, this is at the time where Samuel was the, the, the judge, like the last judge. God had given Israel, Israelites judges. They didn't have a king. They only had God as the king. God didn't want to give them a king because he knew that if he given them a king, they would just be like the other nations who, um, who have to put their trust in a person and rely on a person. And we know that would just bring disappointment. But he wanted them to put their trust in him, king, because God is faithful. So in any case, the people are complaining and they're saying to God, God, we want to be like the other nations that have a king. So eventually God says, okay, Samuel, Samuel's a prophet. And the, and the judge, the last judge, and he said, okay, Samuel, go out and go to Saul and anoint him as king. I've chosen Saul to be a king. I've listened to the complaints of the people. If they really want it, I'll, I'll give them, I'll give them a king. And he gives the people Saul. And this is what happens right after Samuel, the prophet, actually anoints Saul as king. Look at what the first thing that God does after Saul is anointed as king. So verse 9, 1 Samuel 10, verse 9 10. So it was, when he had turned back, this is now Saul. So it was, when Saul had turned back, his back from Samuel, that God gave him another heart. And those signs came to pass, the signs that Samuel was speaking about. When they came... To the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet him. Then the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. So, isn't it amazing that the first thing that when God appoints this king and, and Saul is anointed as a king, God realized that this guy with this current heart he has, he's not going to be able to do this task. So the first thing he does is he gives him another heart. And that is so encouraging to me and to us this morning, because it doesn't matter where the condition of our heart is, God can supernaturally give us another heart. A new heart. And then God goes a step further and he, and he then puts his spirit upon Saul because he knows that Saul needs his spirit. And then Saul starts to prophesy. Now, just a little bit of background. Now, in the prophets, they had to come from a lineage of prophecy. They, like their parents were prophets, so then they would also walk in that. Saul's background is not prophetic. He, his father and them weren't prophetic people. But God literally poured out his spirit on him so that he could start to prophesy and be seen as a prophet. Now it is king. But I want to focus on this, this new heart that, um, that God had given, given Saul. So after this, we see that uh, Saul starts to do amazing things, and God is with him, and the favor of God is uh, upon him. And so he leads the Israelite armies, and they, they conquer quite a number of um, enemies, and they win a lot of battles, and God is with them. But then slowly but surely, uh, Saul starts to put his trust back in himself and not in God. And slowly but surely, uh, actually, Saul starts to disobey God. He disobeys him once, and God kind of lets it go, and then disobeys him the second time. And then God actually sends Samuel to him and says, well, the kingdom will actually be removed from you. And then, unfortunately, this, we see this downward spiral in, in Saul's life to the point at the end where he actually his armies, the Israel armies are defeated by the Philistines, and Saul 
kills himself with his own sword. He falls on his own sword. Just because of his heart, from this new precious heart that God has given him, his heart has grown cold. He's allowed bitterness to enter. He's allowed envy to enter. He's allowed pride to enter. And the end result is death. So this morning, the, the one side of it, I want to say that God wants to give us a new heart this morning. And in a little bit, or at the end of the, the message, I want to give us opportunity, all of us, to respond and to come to God and ask Him to give us a new heart this morning. But then there's something after that that happens. After that, when God gives us a new heart, He actually wants us to steward that new heart that is given us. So that we don't end up like Saul, who then allow again bitterness and envy and all the stuff that God just got rid of to come back in, and eventually we're worse off than we were in the beginning. So I want us to, to look at how do we actually steward our heart. And there's one person in the Bible, except for Jesus, obviously, but there's one other character in the Bible that's the best character to look at when it comes to things concerning the heart. And it's David. Why? Because David is known as? Yes. David is known as a man of the God, God's own heart. Now surely if he's a man of the God's own heart, he knew something about stewarding his own heart. Um, some interesting things about David, just before we go uh, in, into it. You know, apart from Jesus, David is the most spoken about person in the Bible. He has the most verses or, or chapters dedicated to him, apart from Jesus. Also, there's, there's some interesting parallels between Jesus and David. For example, David uh, became king at the age of 30. Jesus started his ministry at the age of 30. David reigned for 33 years as a king. Um, Jesus died at the age of 33. Um, David was uh, raised in Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. David was a, a shepherd boy. He looked after the sheep. Jesus is often uh, um, spoken about as the, being the shepherd, and we are the flock. David uh, killed Goliath and in that sense saved Israel. Jesus is the savior of the world. Amen. Jesus uh, came from David's lineage. So there's some, something for us to notice in David. This, it, it, it's a good idea to spend some time on the character of David and, and how did he do? There's a lot of principles we can learn. Now, I've just been so encouraged by reading through the stories of David through the last couple of weeks, reading through 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, and I want to encourage you, go and read it. It's, it's so encouraging. It's so applicable to our here and now, our current situation in South Africa, our situation in our work, situation with our, our, our families. It's so relevant. The scriptures are so relevant. Book of 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, Kings, um, obviously the Psalms. But why, did David, why was David called the man after God's own heart? I believe there's two, two main things why David was called the man after God's own heart. And everything else kind of flows from it, and we, we see it in the stories that we leave, read from David. And the, the first thing is that David had a love for the presence of the Lord. He loved the presence of God. He loved to spend time in the presence of God. And secondly, David feared God above all else. He feared God about, above situations. He feared God above people. And it's maybe interesting if you put those next to each other, like the love of God's presence and the fear of God. And we, we, we almost feel like it's contradicting one another, but there's a perfect balance in that. Because it's the love of God and love for God's presence that makes us want to come like this morning boldly into his throne room. We come boldly because we know we are sons. We know he's our father. We know there's intimacy with us, 
for us at, with the Father. We know we are joint heirs with Christ in the heavenlies. I mean, we are family. That's the love and the presence of God. But at the same time, it's just as important the fear of God because God is the creator and we are the created. It puts into perspective that God is king and we are soldiers in his army. It means that when God speaks, we are to obey. It means that God's word is the final word. And we don't come with buts and ifs or try and, and change it. Because he is sovereign. He is king. He is God. And we are to obey his word and his commandment. And we come to him with that reverence and that fear, knowing that he's almighty and is sovereign and is holy. And he's also a judge and just. So there's a beautiful balance in David's life between the presence of God, loving the presence of God, having intimacy with God, and the fear of God, having this reverence for God. Now, I want to, that's maybe just a little bit too, let me say, out there or theoretical. So I want to I wanna look at two stories of David. And I want to break it down and let's get really practical and see how does this life of David, how can we make it applicable to our here and now? And how does it change the way that we live our lives from today onward? So the two stories I want to uh, speak about is the, the one of David and Goliath. And we all know the story. Um, and for the sake of time, I'm not going to read the story. I'm just going to paraphrase it and, and we're going to speak about it. And then I want to speak about David's relationship with Saul. His relationship with Saul. Okay, so first, David and, and Goliath. So we, we come upon the, the scene or what was happening at the time. David, David was a, a shepherd boy. He was looking after the sheep, spending time with God um, in the pastures, him and God alone, having intimacy with God, singing to God. And David's uh, dad came to him and said to him, you must actually go with some uh, bread and some, some uh, cheese. He must go to his brothers. He must go to the Israelite army because all the rest of David's brothers were signed up for Saul's army, the Israelite army. So there David goes and he goes to the Israelite army. And at the, the, the scene that we enter there is where the Philistines have come to attack or make war against Israel. And Israel is actually standing on like a mountain or hilltop on the one side, and there's this valley, and then on the other side of the valley, it's the Philistines. And they kind of have this face-off because neither of the parties want to go into the valley, because obviously we go into value at a real disadvantage in terms of um, war, to be taken out by archers, etc. when you're in the valley. So nobody wants to go into the valley, so they're kind of at this deadlock. And the Philistines, Philistines they... Um, decide to send out their champion. And this champion is this beast of a man called Goliath. He's this giant, and he, and he walks out, and he says, guys, let's rather, instead of one of us going down and, and this battle getting really messy, let's um, rather settle this man-to-man, one man. You send your um, champion, and I'm the champion of the Philistines, and whoever wins, the other one would be the slaves to them. So David comes, uh, Goliath comes out for 40 days in a row, and he's, he's like, actually mocking the army of Israel. He's mocking God and he's challenging them and says, send out someone to fight against me. And the Israelites, they are so fearful that they, nobody wants, nobody's willing to go and do battle against Goliath. So this happens for 40 days and on this 40th day, David actually arrives. And he's coming with his, his bread and, and his cheese and he sees this man walking um, out and he sees this man cussing and, 
um, defiling the armies of God and defiling the living God. And David is like, he's a little bit perplexed. He's like, what's going on here, guys? Why isn't someone just going and taking this guy out? I mean, he's defiling the living God. Why is everybody standing around uh, and not just going to kill him? And they say, no, 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 this is Goliath, you know, he's, he's a massive, you know, you know what he's done. Um, have you, have you re- read all the latest tweets? Have you, have you checked him on Facebook, all the stuff that the people are posting on Facebook about Goliath? Have you checked all the news reports? This guy is hectic. You don't mess with Goliath. Just check on News 24, there's many articles on him. What he can do and what you cannot do against him. How many people he's defeated, how vicious he is. Just check it how the people are commenting to, to the tweets that uh, um, Goliath is sending out. It's real hectic stuff that he's saying. But David is coming from a place of being alone with God. And he's not influenced by the society. So why could David do what more than a thousand, with what thousands of Israelite men soldiers couldn't do? Why could David say, just pick up a stone and go with his staff, walk up to Goliath, swing, the, swing his sling, hit Goliath in the middle of the, in his, in his forehead. He drops down, he goes over to him, takes his own sword, chops his head off, and Goliath is dead. Done, deal. Why could he do it so simple when there's thousands of trained army men not doing it? The reason is because David was alone with God. And the other people were in society Breeding on the fear of society. Speaking about the Facebook reports. Posting comments. Reading the news. Being consumed in their hearts and in their minds of what the realities or the facts is on the table. And David comes with a different perspective. He comes with just spending time with God. And he knows that God is sovereign. And he knows that God is big. And he's got God's word in his heart and in his mind. So when he sees this man coming, he's like, this guy is puny and he's actually challenging the living God. It doesn't matter if you send even a donkey out to this guy, God is going to kill him. Because God is being mocked here. So surely he's going to be taken out. Anybody just run up, just do something, throw a stone, throw whatever. God will do it to kill this guy. Because he's mocking the living God. And isn't it so true to our society today and where we find ourselves? What are we filling ourselves with? What are we filling our minds and our hearts with? Are we guarding our hearts from the society and the societal norms? God is calling us to be separated, to be set apart. God is calling us to be alone with Him in our closet space, just us and Him and hear His voice, be intimate with Him. And when we live from that place, we can go into society and change things. We can go into society and bring hope. We can go into society and challenge things and pray things into being and to call those Goliaths to their knees. But it only comes when we've spent time alone with God. So I want to be very honest and bold this morning and say that I believe the majority of us here this morning Spend way too much time, way too much time in social media and reading news. Way, way too much time. Way too much time. We spend way too much time listening to the voices of society 
compared to listening to the voice of God and being able to. That's why we're not able to impact society. So I want to go as, as far to say that if you're, if you're reading news and it's not propelling you into the presence of God, it's not pushing you to your knees, it's not pushing you to go and pray and see God's voice and hear, hear His voice and to seek His perspective, if that's not the result of you spending time reading news, then what's the point? Stop reading news. There's no point in reading news when you don't actually take what you've read to God and ask His perspective on it and pray into those things that's going on in our nation. Just stop, rather stop reading news. I like this um, quote from uh, Denzel Washington. He's a, he's a, he's a Christian, by the way. And he, and he says that if you don't read the news, you're uninformed. If you read the news, you're misinformed. So I would much rather be uninformed than misinformed. Because if I'm uninformed and I put my trust in God, God can still guide me and direct me to make the right choices. But when I'm misinformed, I will make the wrong choices. I will make the wrong decisions. You know, social media, um, they've done, done studies now. or I don't know if you know, but the, the same people that design social media like uh, Twitter and Facebook and all of these, these things, Instagram, the same people that designed it, the same people that designed Vegas. Social media is designed in such a way that it's to get people um, addicted. It's designed in such a way to make things pop up, to uh, get information obviously from us and sell that information to other people. So it's obviously a lot, a big organization and, and a, a lot of money, money things around behind social media. But it's designed to get you hooked and to get you, more, to get to more, get you to spend more and more time on it. That's why Facebook, you click on one person and before you know, three hours is gone and you've like gone to this person, then that person, that person, that person, that person. That's how Facebook works, isn't it? It triggers you and it's designed, it's not by chance, it's designed in such a way to get you hooked, to get you to waste your time and waste my time. It's actually, um, you know, they've, they've done studies and, and seen that it's, it's really damaging actually to the brain, social media. Because what it does, it, it actually retrains our brain to jump. Now you hear, you're you, you, you reading a tweet from uh, President um, uh, Trump, and then you're in China, you're reading a something story in China, then you're reading the, the weather in um, Switzerland, you know. It doesn't matter what the weather in Switzerland is, but you're reading about it, you know. Then you read there, then you read there, because it's all about information, you know. Then you go there and there and there, and you lose the ability, we are losing the ability to actually focus. And focus on a single task at hand. And be specific and actually be efficient and effective in what we're doing. And then we wonder why half of us are diagnosed with like ADHD. Because we're retraining our own mind with the things that we're doing. But God is calling us to steward our hearts and our mind and to guard our hearts to what we allow in. So when it comes to this, this point, God is calling us into the secret place. He's calling us to be alone. He's calling us to hear His voice rather than all the other thousand voices of Facebooks and the, the news and everything that's, that's happening. He's calling us to primarily listen to Him and out of that place, respond and live in this world. We are in this world, but we're not of this world. We are called to be separate. We are called to be different than the world. 
We should look different, act different, speak different, spend our time on different things. You know, we, in this society, unfortunately today, it's no longer, news is no longer about truth. It's about getting it out there first. That's the race is all about who can, who can put the, 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 the comment or who can put the article out first. Because if you're first, then you're going to get money. People are going to read it, etc., you know. So who can do it first? And if it's only 50% truth, it's okay. That, who cares, you know. It's just about you, you, you got the article on first. And people can read it. It's no longer about putting the truth necessarily out there. So what are we exposing? What does it help to read a lot of stuff? That's 50% truth. Even 90% truth, that's still a lie. God is calling us back to him. So that's the one, one side. That's the one story of, of um, David and Goliath and why I believe why David could do things that others couldn't. Then I want to look at the, the story of David and Saul and his relationship, relationship to, to Saul. Now, one more scripture I actually wanted to share with you just to show how David, also in the latter part of his life, reacted uh, or responded or practiced this thing of going to God rather than listening to the, to society. What, ha- what is happening here is that um, David was returning from a, a battle, and when he got to the, their place, their town, it had been like destroyed. And all the kids and all the wives had been taken away by a tribe. It's been raided. So now he comes with his men, and we find ourselves here in 1 Samuel 30 verse, verse 6. It says, now David was, David was greatly distressed. You see in his heart, he was greatly distressed. Why? For the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his son and his daughter. Every man, people were speaking, I've lost everything. I've lost my wife. I've lost my children. And David was grieved by, he was greatly distressed because he he had started to listen to the people and what was going on. But thankfully, David knew in his heart that this is not the right way. And then it says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. In other words, but David stopped and said, I need to go alone. I need to strengthen myself. This is what the people are saying. But what is God saying? And he reminded himself of how big God is versus the situation that they are facing. And after he strengthened himself, and this is my message this morning, let us, let's strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Let's take courage. Let's take, take heart. Let's be strengthened in God. And once David knew what God was capable of doing, he then asked God, what is your opinion on this? Should we pursue this tribe or not? And God said, yes, pursue them. You'll overtake them. And that's exactly what he did. They, they pursued them. They overtook them with a small amount of 400 people uh, with David. They killed a whole uh, army of this, this tribe. And the scripture says that everything was restored to them. All the, the wives, all the kids, all the, the, their belongings, everything was restored. Why? Because one man was able to listen to God in the precious situation and not just bow down to the situation. Sure, this is so encouraging. I hope you get, guys are getting encouraged. It's so encouraging for me. Personally, it's encouraging in my, my situation. After David killed Goliath, Saul was very pleased with him and he invited him into and he made him king of, of some of his armies and David was very successful and the favor of God was on David and David went out to kill many people and the reports would come back from battle and the people, the ladies would be waiting for the men to come back and they would be singing that we praise Saul because he's killed thousands. And we praise David because he's killed ten thousands. And Saul, uh, because he was king, his heart became bitter and hardened and envious. 
You know, because Saul had, unfortunately, he had a heart of a, a brother or a sibling and not the heart of a father. He had a heart of a, a jealous brother. He related to David as a brother rather than relating to him as a son. And when we relate to, to people like that, there's always competition. But God wanted him to relate to, to, to David as a son. In other words, if my daughter or my son does something, it's, it, if they do something better than me, it pleases me. It's, it's a good thing for me. If they can do life better than I've done, if they love God more than me, then I've, like, I think I've been successful in handing something over to them. Their success is my success. And that's the heart of the Father. And, and God wanted Saul to celebrate what he's doing in David, but Saul wasn't able because he related to him as a, as a, as a brother, as a rival, as a competing. So Saul's heart grew, grew cold and envious, and there's this downward spiral, and um, to the point where Saul wants to kill David, and David actually, David actually has to flee, flee from Saul's presence, and he goes and hides in caves. And, and we find ourselves here in the, in the story where I'm going to read now in 1 Samuel 24, verse 10. In one of these pursuits of Saul trying to kill David, um, and he's actually going, and they're looking for David amongst his caves, and ended up then sleeping or spending the night in this one cave. And he didn't know, Saul didn't know, that it was, it was the exact cave that David and his men was actually also in. Obviously a massive cave, right? So we find ourselves here in the story and just, just look at David's heart. Listen to David's heart and, and, and what he says here. Because Saul then sleeps in that cave and the men with David says, Yo, God has just delivered Saul into your hands. Go and chop his head off and this thing is over. We don't have to run anymore, you know, and hide away from, from, from Saul. We can just end this thing tonight. And David says, far be it from me. I will not touch the Lord's anointing. Now that, that's crazy. Saying the Lord's anointing, honoring the king that's trying to kill you, honoring a king that's grown cold and that's bitter and hardened and evil, actually, in his heart. But to still have the understanding because of your fear and reverence to God, you have understanding to honor the king that God has set over you. And he's speaking to me about how we relate to our leaders in this country, in the leaders in our households, in the leaders in our work environments. So look at what Saul, um, David says. He speaks to, to Saul the next day after, after waking up. He says, Saul, he shouts to him, Saul, look this day, your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hands in the cave. And someone urged me to kill you, but my eyes spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Yo, that is something that we can learn from, from David's heart. Because he feared God, he honored the king that was set before him. You know, David could have, at this point of time, God had already told through Samuel, David, that he would be king. So David could have easily said, yes, but God told me I would be king. Although Saul is still king, I can just take things into my own hands right now. And surely that's okay. But it's not okay. David had the order, no, no, no. I'm not going to have my own three steps to be promoted. I'm not going to have my own three-year plan or five-year plan to get 
promoted or get this position. I'm not going to step on other people to, to, to get promoted or get more money or be successful in the business world. I'm not going to try and take things into my own hand. I'm just going to be a servant to God. I'm going to honor my leaders and serve them. And I'm going to trust that God would do the rest. If God wants to promote me, he'll promote me. If he doesn't want to promote me, he won't promote me. And that's okay. You know, I like what Jean Vivier says, and I've practiced it in my, I'm practicing it in my own life, and I've had so much fruit from it. He says that if you want to be promoted, if you want to be promoted in your workplace, stop being an employee and become a servant. And then, yo, I just took that to heart. It just spoke to me, and I've practiced it, and it's, it works. Stop trying to be an employee and start being a servant. Start honoring your leaders that God has appointed in your workplace over you. Wives, start honoring the husband that God has given you. Maybe a bit of a more tougher one for the ladies. Honor the husband that God has appointed. Let's not have our own three-step plan or two-steps plan. Let's become servants to our leaders. Let's honor them. It doesn't matter if our leader is making the right or wrong decision. We can tell him, hey, we, we feel, you know, maybe rather to do it this way. But if you want to do it, no problem. I'll serve you. I will back that decision. That should be our heart's decision. Obviously, we can consult. We can give input. We're not just quiet, but we let them understand that they make the decision. And we are here to back them and serve them. We're not going to disrespect them. We're not going to speak behind their backs. We're going to follow the decision that they make. So... In the workplace, like I said, it's so relevant to us today. How do we honor our leaders? How do we honor the leaders of this country? You know, what, what do we say about our president? What do we speak about our president of this country that is God-appointed? Because Scripture tells me that all authority has been appointed by God. So the, the truth is that this country is in God's hands, not a man's hands. And that this country will serve God at one point or another. Maybe in just generation, maybe the next. But scripture tells me that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. That is the end. The story is already written. That will happen. We don't have to worry about that. What scripture tells me is that we are called to pray for our leaders. So that the nation, the people may live in peace. Scripture does not tell me that we should listen to the speech of the president and then critique him afterwards. And then say, yeah, but this is what he's doing wrong and this is what he's doing wrong and he should have done it that way and this person should rather have been pointed in that position and that person should rather have pointed in that position and why is this Christian guy that's in, in the politics, why is he not standing up and doing that? And I don't see any of that in the scripture. What I do see is that the scripture says, let's pray for our leaders. Let's pray that God would soften their hearts. Let's pray that God would um, bring them to their knees. Let's pray that God would give them wisdom, that he would appoint the right people. Let's pray for protection over them and their families. Let's pray for their salvation. Are you with me this morning? But God is speaking to us as a, a people, as believers, to be different than society. Don't conform to the ways of society. Somehow we've got this thing that, you know, leaders need to report to us. 
They need to answer to us in this democracy that we live in. They need to give answers to us, but God says, don't waste your time in analyzing everything that the president does or the political party does. Don't spend your time. Don't waste your time on that. Let's spend our time and pour our time into the presence of God, bringing our leadership, bringing our country before God and saying, God, we don't put our trust in a president. We don't put our trust in a political party. We put our trust in the King of Kings, who is the King of South Africa, who is the King of our nation. And He is in control. He's not taken by surprise. I want to be bold and to challenge us further in terms of our speech. When we speak about our president, let us speak about President Cyril Ramaphosa. Let us not speak about Cyril or Ramaphosa has done this. Let's start honoring him with the lips, our lips and our speech. Can we do this from today? Can we start speaking that our president, Sir Ramaphosa, said this, but we are going to pray as a nation. We are going to pray as believers for him. Our president has decided this. I'm not too sure if that's the right decision, but we're going to pray that God's favor is on it. We're going to come, we're going to pour out our, our, our time in prayer for our nation, for our leaders. If David could do this for Saul, who was evil and wanting to kill him, surely we can do this for our president, Cyril Ramaphosa, who I believe is a good man. Come on. Let's take heart. Let's take courage. The two things is love. We need to grow and develop ourselves into having a love for the presence of God and having a fear for God that looks like honoring people in this here and now. So, I don't know where, where you are at this morning and what the condition of your heart is this morning. But I do believe that God is giving us opportunity this morning to respond to Him with whatever the condition of our heart is and to come for a new heart. There's a child that wants to respond. God is giving us an opportunity this morning to bring with whatever condition we have to bring that before him and trust him to like he did with Saul in the beginning to give us a new heart, to give us another heart, another chance, a new chance. Amen. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.